How many of you were here last week for our APOR graduation? Was that not amazing or amazing? Wow, that was absolutely amazing. So exciting. I, I told, I just, I love the APOR uh, graduations. Just love to hear the testimonies of the individual young men whose lives have been changed, but also hearing from the families. And then the realization that families are being melted, healed, um, restored, just so exciting. Um, very rewarding ministry to be a part of. And uh, my wife and I, had um, we had some good laughs uh, when uh, we were talking about this the other day when uh, I first was approached by Buster um, about the APOR and what it was. It was a treatment program and live-in treatment program for uh, guys battling addictions, and drugs and alcohol and different things. And so I never will forget when I, I talked to Buster, I was all excited about we, we were going to fly down to Lake Okeechobee and, and uh, get a taste and see what it was like down there and kind of understand the program a little more. And I came home and I told my wife, I said, sweetheart, guess what we're going to do? We're going to have a drug and alcohol treatment program in our church. And, and, we're, and I began, I just kind of all spilt out. And she looked at me and she said, you're going to do what? You're going to do what in our church? And I said, yes, just have faith, honey. Just hang in there. <laughs> now she loves it. She absolutely loves the guys, loves the families. You know, sometimes it's, it's, you know, hard to get the whole picture. And, you know, from the time that started and we just had the vision and Buster had the vision to the time that it actually opened was over five years. So, you know, it took a lot of praying and working and money and time and effort and uh, you know, all kind of, God had to do all kinds of miracles, but I'm so excited, so glad that we made that decision and that um, lives have been changed, and I love seeing lives changed. So we're going to, oh man, this is my first time I've been here on Wednesday night, in, uh, or got to preach, of course I was here last week, but we had the APOR graduation, but Ben, thank you for, how many weeks did you do it? Did you do it? Uh you had something one Wednesday, and then I think you maybe you did too. But you finished chapter five. Widows and <laughs> all the things I'm glad I didn't have to preach about. Yeah, I asked my my wife asked me tonight. She said, "Honey, what do we? What's the lesson tonight?" I said, "It says twelve. What did I say? I said the twelve things. Twelve things that pastors' wives get pr- proud about." And I was just teasing with her. And she said, where are you sleeping tonight? <laughs> I said, well, maybe I'll change my sermon a little bit. You know, maybe we don't have to go that direction. But we're in First Timothy chapter 6. And uh, there's a similar theme that has run through Timothy. And that is he's concerned. Uh, he's speaking to Timothy. He's writing a letter to Timothy. He's concerned about the church. He's concerned about false teaching. Talking about false teachers. He's talking about... Uh, you know, he was concerned they were going to head in the wrong direction. Uh, and so he was doing everything he could, but little did he know that when he wrote this letter, that this would be a letter that 2,000 years later, we'd be re- reading this letter, and it would be instruction and wisdom. And the lesson tonight I call wholesome teaching, wholesome teaching, because he uses that phrase uh, in, in this passage. And my goal tonight is just five verses because there's so much here. Uh, we're just going to do the first five verses of First uh, Timothy chapter 6. And I have, we have a lot of ground I feel like the Lord wants us to cover. So let's look at, and first let's pray. Father, we thank you. Holy Spirit, wonderful God, we love you. We bless you tonight. Thank you that we can join together in your presence uh, with one another, and that we can learn of you, we can study your word, we can receive from you, the Holy Spirit can speak to our heart. I ask for that anointing and the Holy Spirit to speak through me, 
Uh, and I just say, Lord, I need your help. I cannot do this without you. I need your help. And I ask you, Lord, to speak through me the words that you desire to speak to your people. And we open our hearts and ask you say, and to say, Lord, here we are. Teach us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, let's look at the first five verses. We're going to read them first. All slaves should so show full respect for their masters so that they should not bring shame on the name of God and his teaching. If the masters are believers, that is no excuse for being disrespectful. Those slaves should work all the harder because their efforts are helping other believers who are well-loved. Teach these things, Timothy, and encourage everyone to obey them. Some people may contradict our teachings. Of course, this is a reference to the false teachers that he keeps coming back to. But these are the wholesome teachings of the Lord, Jesus Christ. These teachings promote a godly life. Verse 4, anyone who teaches something different is is arrogant. Sometimes the translations use the word pride there. And lacks understanding. Such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words. This stirs up arguments, ending in jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicions. These people, again, going back to that reference, false teachers or teachers that have slipped into the church, these people always cause trouble. Their minds are corrupt, and they've turned their backs on the truth. To them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. Well, there's a lot there. Um, It's interesting, you know, one of the first questions that come up, especially in those first two verses. First two verses, it uses the reference of slaves uh, and masters. And a lot of people say, well, do you think that was teaching or encouraging or approving of slavery? No, absolutely not, in no way. Paul was just dealing with what was. It was the way it was at that time. And, you know, it's not like he was in a position in that time frame of being able to change anything. So his goal, just like our goal, is to say, okay, how can we apply the Word of God and the principles of God to the situation that we find ourselves in? Whatever culture they were in, they had to make that application of the Word of God to that culture. And so he wasn't approving of that. So I think we can easily take that understanding and simply say the same principle applies from a boss or an employer to an employee. Uh, and, and he's saying there, you know, when you're looking at that, all those who would be employees should show full respect for their, bat- for their bosses or for their employers so that they would not bring shame on the name of God and his teaching. And so that's telling us right there that the way we respond to those who are in authority can bring shame to the name of the Lord or can give honor to the name of the Lord. And, and this applies to every area of authority. Husbands and wives, children to their parents, employees and employers, uh, government officials to the people, every area of life. You know, you can't find an area of life where there's not somebody in authority. It's just a fact of life. And so in that reality... We have to learn how to apply God's word and his principles. And here he's simply saying, God's principles teach us if you would be a master and he doesn't know the Lord, then you need to honor him so that you won't bring shame to the name of the Lord. And then he turns that around and says, if the masters are believers or if the employers are believers, that's no excuse for being disrespectful. Uh, those persons or employees or slaves in this context should work all the harder because their efforts are helping other believers who are well-loved. 
teach these things, Timothy, and encourage everyone to obey them. So he's really in the first two verses just really establishing a principle that's probably been throughout the New Testament, and that is to honor the authority that God has established. And, you know, in Ephesians, uh, he talks about husbands and wives and children and their parents. Uh, so he, he talks about the principle of learning to honor that authority. And it, it is a true statement. The way we learn to respect and honor authority says something about our relationship with the Lord. It shows how well we understand his authority over us and our respect for the Lord. You know, a lot of times if you're having a hard time honoring that person's authority, uh, then a lot of times it's an indicator that we're having a hard time submitting to God's authority. So those are the first two verses. And actually, we're not going to talk a whole lot about those because I think those are pretty well established by other things that we've talked about. But we're really going to talk about uh, really from verse 3, 4, and 5. And looking at verse 3 again, it says, Some people may contradict our teachings, but these are wholesome teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. These teachings promote a godly life. Uh, It's interesting he is, in essence, saying, um, hang on to the, the good teachings. And I don't think he was particularly referring to verse 1 and 2, as he was the whole, the whole uh, letter that he's written, because uh, he's kind of wrapping this thing up here. And he's saying, all of these teachings, they're good teachings. They're wholesome. They're godly. But hang on to that. Now, here's what I feel like we need to understand, and that is, at some point, we've got to learn to be content to hang on to the gospel. Be content with the gospel. What does that mean? What am I saying? You know, there's a real tendency, and it has, this has gone on a long time, to always feel like you've got to come up with some new truth. You know, there's always, they're always coming up with some big new truth. Oh, I got a new truth. You know, I, I would just like to walk in the truth that I already know. I don't need any new ones. I just like to live a godly life the way I already know and what the Word of God says. And, but here he's saying, in essence, he's saying to, to Timothy, he's saying, these are wholesome teachings. Hang on to these. Don't let go of them. And, and in so many words, he's saying, we've got to learn to be content with just the gospel. Now, if someone was to walk up to you, and maybe they're a new believer, and they would ask you, what is the gospel? What would you say? What would be your definition? How would you respond if somebody off the street says, I've heard about something called the gospel. What is the gospel? Because not everybody understands that term. Anybody? Yes, Lilani? Okay, gospel means good news, but explain that just a little bit more because they may not know what the, quote, good news is. It's hard to do that in a short one sentence. <laughs> You're ready to go back to the book of Genesis. What is the gospel? The gospel, if we were going to not have to go back to the book of Genesis, Jesus set us free from sin. And I'm looking for short understandings of the gospel. And I think the shortest thing that we can have is just, and, and, you know, Lalani said it, our sin keeps us away from God. But Jesus died so that we could be forgiven of our sin. And the thing that hangs up a lot of people is the feeling that they have to work for their salvation. They got to do things They've got to earn that salvation. And I want to tell you, it is not good news 
if you have to earn your salvation. Think about that. It is not good news. If you've got to work, because the problem is you will never feel good enough, you'll never feel like you did enough, you'll always be working more, and you'll never have that feeling like you've done enough. So the good news is he did it all at the cross so that you could be forgiven of your sin. Now, I agree, there's a whole lot that needs to be done or spoken when we're explaining it to him. But if you're just going to focus in on something short, focus on the fact that the good news is that Jesus paid the price for our sin, and you don't have to work for your salvation. And then hopefully, if you can get more time, then you can go into some of those other things. But be content with the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. Just be content that he died on the cross for you and that we have eternal life through Jesus. And, and, I, and, and I, I don't even want to talk about some of the weird things that people have gotten into, but I'm just saying don't, don't be pulled into those who want to always have a new truth simply for the sake of looking like they're more spiritual than somebody else. And I think that's what they want to do. They just want to give the appearance that they're some super spiritual person, so they've got this new truth. Uh, and, and I think one of the things that he's trying to say here to Timothy, Timothy, hang on to wholesome teachings. And what I'm saying to you, what I've written to you, this is good stuff. This is the wholesome teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hang on to that. Teach it, live it, and encourage other people to live that. And then in the next part uh, of the next verse, in verse 4, uh, just the first part of that, um, it says in verse 4, it says, Anyone who teaches something different is arrogant and lacks understanding. And I mentioned a second ago that word arrogant is a lot of times... Um, referenced pride. It's an interesting Hebrew word that, that is the root of this, uh, hupanero. It, it's the combination of two words. One is to look, and the other word, it means over. And the idea is that a person who's filled, who is arrogant or who is prideful, they like to look over others. You know, the old idea of got the snooty nose, you know, nose up in the air. You know, that's the idea. They're always got their, that feeling of, I'm superior, I'm looking over you, I'm over you. And so I'm kind of looking over you as if I'm better than you. And the direct reference is the reference to the false teachers, the teachers who have come in, who are polluting the church, who are hurting the church. And he's saying, you need to be careful and be... Um, cognizant of those who are arrogant. Uh, and he says, not only are they arrogant or full of pride, but they lack understanding. So they think they know a lot, <laughs> but the truth is they don't really know a lot. And I did a teaching, this is several years ago, I can't even tell you how long ago, but I did an extensive teaching on just the issue of pride. And one of the things that I came up with was that if you're a person who's a proud, arrogant person, generally speaking, you don't think you're proud and arrogant. <laughs> so the people who need to know most that they're proud and arrogant, they don't know it. And if you walked up to them and says, you are a proud, arrogant person, they would look at, me? Are you kidding? Now, I know some people who are. They know everybody who is, but they don't see that in themselves. So at that time, I, I did an extensive, I did a 12 symptoms, I call them 12 characteristics or 12 symptoms of pride. And I had tons of scriptures, and I'm going to give you those 12, but I'm only going to give you one verse for each of those. 12 symptoms of pride. First one, an ineffective prayer life. 
Leviticus 26, 19 says this. I will break your proud spirit by making the skies as unyielding as iron and the earth as hard as bronze. Sometimes this is called your, your prayers. You feel like the heavens are as brass. You feel like your prayers are not getting anywhere. And here God is saying, because of your pride, the skies are going to be like bronze. They're going to be hardened because you're going to get that impression, you know, your prayers are not going anywhere. But the reason they're not going anywhere is because of our pride. So it's going to make our prayer life ineffective. The second thing is jealous of others and you easily misinterpret the motives of others. And I'm going to give you just the illustration. Uh, This is when David, remember when David went to see his brothers and he ends up killing Goliath? Remember that? This is just a little snippet from that. It's in 1 Samuel 17. It says, but when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and your deceit. Just, just, you just want to see the battle. What have I done now? David replied. I was only asking a question. He walked over to some of the others and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul and the king sent for him. So it's interesting because his brothers were very jealous of him. And they were filled with pride toward David. But what do they accuse David of? They accuse David of pride when really they're the ones that are filled with pride and anger. And they misinterpret. I don't think David was coming there to, you know, show out or anything. He was just curious what was going on. He'd just been sent to send his brothers some sandwiches some, uh, you know, some crawfish um, and, 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 and some boudin sausage. His, he, he brought that and, um, and, and he heard all this uproar from Goliath and the, you know, threats and all this. And he was just asking a question, what's going on? Who is this guy? And, of course, God used that, actually, to get the word to Saul. And the end up, he ended up fighting Goliath and defeating him. But it's interesting that pride causes us to misinterpret people's uh, motives. How many of you have ever had someone misinterpret your words or your motives? What can you do about that? If their heart is set on being angry at you, there's not a lot what you can do. They're, they're, they're kind of focused, and no matter what you say, they're going to see it under the context of what they believe. And they could be just as innocent as can be in their questions, but if you're focused and angry and upset and full of pride, then most likely there's not much you're going to be able to do uh, to change the way they're reacting to you. The only thing that's going to solve it is for a repentance to pride. The third thing, unwilling to help the poor, Psalms 10, verse 2 and 3. The wicked arrogantly hunt down the poor. Let them be caught in the evil they plan for others, for they brag about their evil desires. They praise the greedy, and they curse the Lord. So when we're filled with pride, or there's that arrogant, that word arrogant or pride, um, you know, they're looking to put down the poor. They're unwilling to help the poor. The fourth thing that is a symptom of pride, they have no time for godly priorities. Psalms 10 verse 4 says the wicked are too proud to seek God. They don't have time to seek God or put his priorities, uh, put him as a priority. They seem to think that God is dead. They, they, just, they don't care uh, to seek God or to seek, spend time with God. The fifth thing, their speech is filled with cursing and lying. And I know this is not always, but it, it has a tendency to be there. Psalm fifty nine twelve. because of the sinful things they say, because the evil that's on their lips, let them be captured 
by their pride, their curses, and their lies. It's amazing how many times they come together. The sixth symptom of pride, they are bound by their pride, but unwilling to do the things to be free. Interesting. Psalm 73, verse 6 says, They wear pride like a jewel necklace, and they clothe themselves with cruelty. They love <laughs> they love their pride. And that's the difficult part, is that if you love your pride and you don't think it's so bad, then it's hard to receive anything from someone. That's why if you walk up to somebody and tell them they're full of pride, there's 99% chance they're not going to listen to you. So let me just, I'm right in the middle of this. I know halfway through it, but let me just ask you, how can you help somebody? You, you have a friend, maybe you have a loved one, maybe it's a child, maybe some friend of yours, but you see that pride in their life and you see that it's not good for them. What can you do to help them? Anybody have any suggestions? I have a couple of thoughts about this, but all right. Okay. So, okay, yes. Pray for him. And, and praying specifically that God would show them their own heart. Because the problem is they don't see their own heart. And, you know, it's hard to stop or get out of something if you don't see it. So praying for God to open their eyes to see what obviously they haven't seen up to that point. So... Uh, and it's interesting what you said, Chuck. It is, there is a truth and that, you know, sometimes it is not easy to be nice to people who are filled with pride. But serving them, loving them, being kind to them, you know, it's, it operates that principle of heaping coals of fire <laughs> up on their head, uh, you know, Speak blessing. When they curse you, you speak blessing back to them. That same idea, it makes them feel so guilty for being mean that hopefully they may feel convicted of that. So, yeah, I think those are some things you could do. Anybody else have any other thoughts? What can you do if you have a, a child, a, a, a daughter or a son, who you see that pride, that arrogance, and you, see, you know it's not good for them? Anything you can do? Say? Anybody have any thoughts? Yes. What do you think, Dustin? Good. To share your testimony. Yeah. This is this is this is the way I was, and this is what happened, and this is how I've changed. And sometimes just a simple testimony. And you're not having to look at them and saying, You're wrong, you're bad. You're just simply saying, this is who I am. This is who I used to be. But God's done a change in my heart. You know, the whole gospel is that when we get full of Jesus, we want to be a servant to others. We want to serve others. We want to be a blessing to others. And that, to me, is a sign of maturity in Christ, is that we want to be a servant. We want to serve and be a blessing to others. But that pride resists that. So... Here again, I think just a simple testimony. This is where I was, um, and this is what Jesus did in my life, and I'm a new person today. Sometimes that can have a profound impact and maybe help them because most of the people who are bound up, and, and that's why I put on here, they're bound by their pride, but they're unwilling to do the things to get set free, and that's so so characteristic of that person. They they even sense that they're bound, but, but they don't want to make changes in their life. So this is where God has to do a work of the Holy Spirit in their life. The next one, we have that. Often an arguments and contention. Proverbs 13.10, pride leads to conflict, and those who take advice are wise. 
if you find yourself in conflict a lot, a lot of contention, you know, a root of that could be pride. Because pride will get you into contention and conflicts and arguments. It will. The next one, pride leads to drunkenness, drugs, and other excessive behavior. I don't know if you've ever seen this interesting verse, Isaiah 28, verse 1, 2, 3. So what sorrow await the proud city of Samaria? And you're about to find out a, uh, something about Samaria that it was known for. The glorious crown of the drunks of Israel. <laughs> it sits at the head of a fertile valley, but its glorious beauty will fade like a flower. It is the pride of a people brought down by wine. For the Lord will send a mighty army against it like a mighty hailstorm and a torrential rain. They'll burst upon it like a flooding, a surging flood and smash it to the ground. The proud city of Samaria, the glorious crown of the drunks of Israel, will be trampled beneath the enemy's feet. It was known for their drunkenness. And the Lord says here, it's their pride. They saw no problem with the drunkenness and not always but a lot of times it comes hand in hand the next one unwilling to listen jeremiah thirteen seventeen. and if you still refuse to listen i will weep alone because of your pride my eyes will overflow with tears because the lord's flock will be led away into exile you know, one of the greatest things you can do about learning how to listen is get married. I'm not, I'm not lying either. You know, when you're by yourself and all you have to talk to is you, you're always right. <laughs> you know, and, and you don't have to argue with yourself because you're always right and, and, and everything's always your way. But... but something, and I think God had a, you know, he had a good thing. I think marriage is a great thing, and this is one of them, and that is it forces us, we've got to learn to listen to one another. You've got to learn to give and bend and mold, and we don't get it our way. Uh, and that's a healthy part, but it is a lot of swallowing of pride. And I've always tell young couples, you know, they get married, uh, the first First year is tough. Actually, the first five years, but the first year is the hardest um, because you got two people who are the king of their own life and they're used to getting their own way and now they got to live together. <laughs> and the money, the money, the honeymoon is over. Uh, yeah, it could be a money something, I don't know. But the honeymoon's over and now all of a sudden you got to learn to live together. It's not easy. Because marriage is a lot of giving and learning to listen and learning to say, it's not my way. It doesn't have to be my way. So, again, uh, see, do we have it one more? Is that the last one? Yeah, okay. Pride usually goes with laziness. Uh, it's interesting how they tend to come hand in hand. Um, Ezekiel sixteen forty nine. Sodom's pride. Sodom's sins were pride gluttony and laziness while the poor and the needy suffered outside our door interesting and then the last or no we got two more i'm sorry hardened heart and hardened mind from daniel five twenty. but when his heart this is talking about king nebuchadnezzar when his heart and mind were puffed up with arrogance he was brought down from his royal throne and stripped of his glory hardened mind and a hardened heart and the last one number 12 they often magnify themselves. Zephaniah 2.10, they'll receive the wages of their pride, for they've scoffed at the people of the Lord of heaven's armies. So just, you know, some symptoms. And, and again, if you see some of those symptoms in your own self, you know, this is, this is a time where you make a decision, say, Lord, if I have pride... Lord, let me be open and honest enough to see it and then deal with it. And, and there's, there's only one way to get rid of pride, repentance. 
It's the only way. In fact, repentance is the only way any sin can leave our life. And I guess you could say sin leaves us through our mouth by confessing our sin. That's what he says. You know, if we will confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So everything starts with a willingness to confess our sin. And just, I always say, confession of your sin is not, uh, it's not cataloging exactly what you did because God is already well aware of what you did. To confess is the acknowledgement that you are wrong and that you have sinned against a holy God. You know, in David, it says in Psalm 51, when David was confessing, he said he had committed the sin of murder and adultery and lying and covering up. But he said this, he said, against you and you only have I sinned. Think about that. He acknowledged that his sin was against a holy God. That was the real sin, is that he decided he would do it his way and would not listen to God. So confessing our sin is the acknowledgement that I'm wrong. And that's, that's the hard part. You know, I guess you could say the easy part is say, well, God, I did this, and I did this, and I did this. You know, we kind of just have a catalog, and we list all the wrong things we did. To me, that's the easy part. The hard part is to say, Lord, I did all these things. I was wrong. You're right. I'm wrong. I was filled with pride. Forgive me of that, Lord. Touch my heart. Change my heart, Lord. Give me a heart that's not filled with pride. And then the next thing, uh, reject division. Look at the next, uh, go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is the last part of verse 4. Such a person, not only were they arrogant and, and full of pride, such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble of the meaning of words. They stir up arguments, ending in jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicions. Sounds like problem in a family or problem in a church. How many churches have ended over divisions because people started speaking things and started talking things, started saying things, and the pride and the arrogance is one issue, but the other issue is that, you know, some people love division. They just kind of like drama. Y'all know any people that love drama? They just, and they love to stir it up. I want to tell you, God's people should hate division because it says when God is present there, we're together. We're unified. We have one purpose, one common goal. Our focus is on one direction, and that is to exalt the name of the Lord. And we absolutely hate anything that has to do with division. And so we have to have that as a part of the heart, uh, I think, of a born-again Christian, a person, who's, uh, person who wants to, to do well. And if you love division in the marriage, you've got problems. You've got serious problems. And, and here he describes that. He said that it's an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words. Uh, what, what do you think that means? Quibble, argue over the meaning of words. What do you think he's identifying there? Anybody? What's he talking about? Anybody have an idea? Y'all ever gotten into an argument? What do you think, Bill? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was, he lists, of course, in Proverbs 6, the seven seven things that were an abomination of the Lord. And last one is he who stirs up discord among the brethren. Um, And you, you, you have to um, hate, and that's a word that I use carefully, but I hate division. I hate controversy. I hate stirring up. But you've got to have a say, Lord, give me the peaceful way through this. Now, I realize there are some people they're not real easy to get along with. Uh, and, and, you know, there are personalities that I've found in, in life don't mix real well. You know, they kind of clash. And I know that's a, just a reality of life. But still, God, by his Holy Spirit, will help us uh, to not be one of those persons who stir up division, who doesn't stir up problems, who doesn't, uh, and, and sometimes we're just arguing over silly things that don't matter. When I see that, that says quibble over the meaning of words, it's like you're arguing over, what are we arguing over? You ever gotten in an argument with somebody and then you just wonder what in the world are you arguing about? Some of the men are going, yeah, I know exactly what this is like. Yeah. <laughs> now, I, we didn't mean that, that the ladies were not. <laughs> what, I, what I'm saying, mean is that sometimes the guys, were just clueless of what's going on. We're just kind of, is gone right over our head and we don't know, what, what are we talking about here? What did I do, you know? Uh, and, and we just really haven't awakened, hadn't had our coffee and we hadn't figured out what's going on. But... You know, the thing of it is, is that we we want to not argue over foolish things that don't really matter. You know, the older I get, the more I want the focus of my life to be about things that really matter. I don't want to waste time with things that don't count for eternity. You know, I want to focus my life. I want to do the things. I want to say the things. I want to go places. I want to impact lives. I want to preach things that are going to make a difference in people's lives. And I don't know how many of you, but I've gotten pretty well to stop. I I don't watch a lot of the news now. Besides a lot of the news being fake, uh, we figured out. Uh, Just, you know, I I just kind of, you know, I don't need it. I don't need it in my life. All the stuff that's going on, uh, and you can't really know what's true and what's not true now. Used to, you could trust the news. They actually said things that were true, uh, but now you can't see that. The next thing we talk about, and that is uh, reject uh, division, number four. Reject the gospel, using the gospel to gain wealth. Look at that verse five. These people always cause trouble. Their minds are corrupt. They've turned their backs on the truth. To them, a show of godliness is just a way to make money. And, you know, I think this is pretty obvious. There are a lot of people in the kingdom of God today that it's all about money. What else do you say? I mean, that is the way a lot of uh, stuff is. And you have to look beyond that, you know, why are they saying what they're saying? Is it they're selling a book? You know, some guy comes in and they're talking about the end times. My first question is, are they selling something? <laughs> you know, do they have a motive behind convincing me that the end of the world is about to happen in 88 days or something? You know, they're about to sell me a book, then I already kind of suspect their motive. And even here, this is before TV. (laughs) They were using the gospel to get money, to get wealthy, uh, to get to gain money. So this is, you know, the televangelists and the people on internet that are trying to use the gospel to get rich from. We're not talking about this as something new. This has been going on since the days of Paul uh, and Timothy, even then. But you have to make a decision to reject that. And one way you can do it is, for heaven's sakes, don't support those people. You know, don't send your money to people who are always begging for money. That's a good sign right there that their motive is all about money. You know, if you'll send money, 
And then you'll get a double blessing and your prayers will really be answered if you'll just send in $499 because that's my birthday. If you'll do that, you'll really get healed. I want to tell you, that's all baloney. That's all hype and nothing to it. Uh, So reject those who you pick up on the fact that they're just trying to use the gospel to get money out out of it. Just don't support it, don't have anything to do with it. And then the last thing affects us, reject reject materialism. I'm going to ask you a loaded question. I already have what I believe is the answer, what I think is an answer, not the answer. But materialism is, is a trap. I don't think there's any. You know, we're about to go next week. We're going to pick up, and if you know the next week, it, 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 the verse that we'll be covering, it says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. So we're going there. But before we get there, you know, he's told us what he did about rejecting this, this stuff. But really, materialism is the love of things. And the love of things opens the door for us to have a love of money because then it's the money that gives us the things. You see what I'm see where I'm going? You have to make a decision that I'm not going to be a materialistic person, that it's, everything is about what I can get. So what is the best thing you can do to reject that, that fights against that materialism? Anybody? How can you stop that materialism, that desire for more, 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 more? Bill? All right. Okay, keep your eyes on Jesus. I agree with that. Anybody else have a suggestion? Generosity, giving. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I agree with that. That'll do it. Anybody else? Helen? Don't go into shopping? That's a practical thing, yeah. (laughs) You know men hate to go shopping, don't you? Oh, my goodness. It's just like torture to, to go shopping, you know. I've decided, we've figured out the way men and women are different in shopping. We're hunters. We see the object we've got to shop for. It's the game. So you get out of the car. And you're heading for the game. You see what you know. Blam! You get that stuff. You get it in the cart. And you get out of there and as fast as you can so you can take care of your game. You know, that's the way a man sees shopping. (laughs) Yeah, you're right there. But for a woman, it's the experience. It's the experience. And whether or not they get the game or not is unimportant. Just, Just wandering the aisles, having a wonderful time, smelling the coffee while you're in, just having, you know, and... And if your husband is with you and he wants to shoot the game, you've got a problem. Because I'm always saying, have you got it yet? Are you finished yet? So we've learned, you know, after you've been married a while, you learn the secret here. She goes shopping. And every once in a while, I'm called upon to shop. And I can do it in one-tenth of the time that she can do it. Because I got my list, I get in there, I get what I need, I, get, I shoot it, I get it, pay for it, and I bag it, and I get out of there. And that's, that's the end of the story. So, how did I get on that? It's been a rough night. <laughs> a rough night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, the whole idea is that if we're going to reject materialism, and, and I agree, keeping your eyes on Jesus, focusing on Jesus, but what I want to say to me, the greatest thing that can fight against this is gratefulness. Just gratefulness. Just, 
and, and to me, it is necessary that we express our gratefulness. If I'm expressing my gratefulness for the phone that I have, most likely, I'm not going to be thinking a whole lot about getting a new one, unless it's a real need. And I, I've learned, you know, you know, I, I've... If you're thinking and looking at what other people have that's better than what you have, and you look at those things all the time, it puts that seed of wanting something that you don't have. So it's just a whole lot better not to look at it. Just don't go there. Because most of the time we don't need it. It's just the reality of it. Now, we need food. Food is a necessity, but that's different, you know. But a lot of the other stuff, we can, we can pretty well do without it. So these are just wholesome teachings from the book of Timothy that Paul is saying to Timothy, and he's saying, if you'll think about these things and hang on to these things, he said, you know, these will hold you steady. And again, the whole context is always... You won't be susceptible to the false teachers. And I'm convinced if we know the truth and we walk in the truth truth, and we love the truth, then when the lie comes along, we recognize it as a lie and we don't have anything to do with it. And that's why I love, I love it when the church is mature enough to recognize the lie and reject it. Because the truth of it is, whether it's internet or TV or magazine or some preacher somewhere or some something, you're going to hear a lot of wild, crazy things out there, and you need to be wise enough to reject the lies and say, no, that's not wholesome. That's not good. So I'd like for us to pray tonight. We're going to pick up uh, verse 6 and hopefully get a little further next week. But let's pray. You'd stand up to your feet, and we're going to pray for God to give us wisdom to walk in these wholesome teachings. Lord, I just pray tonight. Pray, Father, that you would help us. Lord, help us not to go down the road of pride, but instead, Lord, to have a servant's heart. Help us, Lord, to reject division. Help us to love unity in the body of Christ. And, Lord, I pray that we would also reject materialism. And we just ask you, Lord, to give us a grateful heart for everything we have, all the blessings you've blessed us with. Keep us with a grateful heart, O Lord. We love you, and I thank you, Father, for the body of Christ, for the church that we have. Thank you, Lord, that we can love one another and encourage one another. We bless the name of the Lord tonight, and thank you for your faithfulness. Amen. All right, we'll pick up verse 6 next week. Praise God, chapter, chapter 6, verse 6. Amen.